Hey everyone, uh, for this week's podcast, uh, I wanted to add a follow-up uh, to our discussion recently about Christians' engagement in politics. As we approach Election Day, um, I think it will be very helpful for us to visit something in our Westminster Confession of Faith in Chapter 20, Section 2. Um, and it talks about basically the biblical teaching about the liberty of conscience, the freedom of our conscience. And it goes like this, God alone is Lord of the conscience and hath left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, which are in anything contrary to his word or beside it in matters of faith or worship, so that to believe such doctrines, and that is the doctrines of, of men contrary to God's word, or to obey such commands is to betray a true liberty of conscience and the requiring of an implicit faith and an absolute and blind obedience is to destroy liberty of conscience and reason also. And so what this means is that in all spheres of life, what we're ultimately bound to is the word of God and the word of God alone. And this is uh, stemming from the, the reformed doctrine of sola scriptura, that only God's word is inerrant uh, and infallible and gives us uh, all that we need to know regarding our salvation. Um, and therefore, only God's word can bind our conscience. And when it comes to how we vote and how we engage in our civic duties, that's something that the Bible says very little about and leaves mostly uh, to your practice of discernment and wisdom in your applying God's word to your life and your context. And of course, this will also depend on your perspective, as in whether you have a more individual perspective on things or a more communal uh, perspective on things and how uh, attentive you are to uh, a certain need and how other people are attentive to other needs uh, in, within your community. And the different levels of uh, resources and capacity that we have to serve our neighbors, all of these things will factor into how we vote, uh, whether it's at the national level or at the, the local level. Now, if anyone, even a pastor, were to bind you to something that the scriptures uh, does not bind your conscience to, they are practicing what's called legalism. And that should be something that you discern and, and know for yourself. Um, know that you are free to disagree with those opinions. Uh, you're also free to agree with those opinions. But, but you should never f feel condemned if someone were to condemn you for not engaging in politics or voting in the way that they do. As long as you are subjecting yourself to the word of God and the teaching from his word, that should give you peace. Now, you're free, of course, to, to listen to uh, various opinions of other people and counsel from other people. But know that you as a believer have a responsibility to God's word, that you're called to submit to every verse and every chapter of the Bible, both the New Testament and the Old Testament. As 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful profitable, beneficial uh, for uh, correcting, uh, for teaching, for reproof, and for training in righteousness. And this means all of Scripture is applicable to all of God's people, whether you're Jew or Gentile. 
all of God's people must obey all of God's word. And the key to understanding all of the scriptures, as we've been learning, is Christ. And so what ultimately uh, guides us and controls us, as it says, 2 Corinthians 5.14, is Christ and His love. Now, additionally, I, I just want to mention a few things that Scripture does command us and that uh, we are bound to and that we should always strive to obey. And I would encourage you to look at these passages on your own so that you know uh, this is not just coming from me, but this is from God's Word. And uh, we must subject ourselves to it and um, it ought to uh, bind our conscience because this is not the commandments of men, but of God. So, for example, in 1 Timothy 2, uh, verses 1 through 4, we're commanded by God to pray for our political leaders, whoever they might be. And as a result of that, live a peaceful, quiet, godly life. And it also says in Matthew 5, 46, that as Christ's disciples, we are to love others regardless of how different they are to us, uh, regardless of how they fail to reciprocate to us the same kind of love we, we share with them. Because if we only love those who think like us, um, behave like us, who are totally compatible with us and reciprocate our love in every way, then our love is no different than worldly love, secular form of love. But as Christ's disciples, we have to display a love that is more astounding than that, and that is the love of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12, 21 also commands us to see one another as indispensable members of the body of Christ. Regardless of how different we might be, uh, no one should say of the other person or even think of the other person, I don't need you. I don't need him or her. We are all united in Christ. And some of us would have the appearance and function of an eye, another person, the appearance and function of an ear, others' hands, other feet. Uh, we're different, we're diverse, but we are to be united under Christ and His truth and work together. And we have to be able to respect one another and love one another regardless of our differences. And even as we remain uh, rightly concerned about uh, matters that pertain to our temporary home. Hebrews 11, and all throughout the book of Hebrews, as we've been learning, urges us to imitate the faith of our forefathers, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and Joshua, and David. Those people who longed for rest and peace in their land, and yet, and yet, they longed for a better rest and a better country. And in Hebrews eleven sixteen, it says, that better country and eternal promised land is the heavenly country that is not found here on earth. So that's where our hope is. And whatever the outcome of this election might be, our hope ought to be uh, unshaken. And as Jesus himself promised us concerning the future of the church, his bride, I will build my church, right? I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, Matthew 16, uh, 18. This means that 
even if we were to believe that this uh, election outcome or some future event might unleash the gates of hell, what Jesus promised is that that very event will not prevail against the church because he, he himself is building his church. And so no evil forces can prevail against us. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. And so nothing that takes place here on earth can change that or undo that. And he also said, in this world, you will have tribulation. And that's something you can take to the bank, uh, regardless of whether your choice of uh, political candidate wins or not. You and I will have tribulation, but take heart. Uh, not because in four years you can vote someone else in, but because Christ has overcome the world. And that means nothing can hinder the advancement of God's kingdom by the power of the gospel. And we can just look around the world and, and look at the way, all the ways that this promise has been proven true. And, and it's still held on to by our brothers and sisters in places like North Korea, in China, in the Middle East, where persecution is rampant, where tribulation is great, and the gates of hell have been railing against uh, the church. Uh, not only are they remaining steadfast, they're growing. They're growing in a way and at a rate that I think puts us to shame. And this proves that Christ has been faithful to his promise and will continue to build his church. And this is a faith that I hope that we will not only witness around the world, but especially here at home, in our own hearts, in our family, in our church as well. And uh, what might that look like? I think it might look something like this, where Christians in America can confidently say and believe that if America were to fall tomorrow, the church will prevail. And therefore we rejoice and we give thanks and we continue to worship and fellowship and obey uh, God's great commission. And this leads me to the, the last uh, passage reference, and that is God's great commission to us to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to observe all that He has commanded us. Our mission as Christians uh, in this life is not to create as uh, best as we can a peaceful and prosperous life uh, on earth or to establish a peaceful and prosperous government here on earth. The mission is to go and seek and save the lost, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have not received it, who have not heard it. And all that God gives us with now should be used to this end. So by keeping in step with God's word this way, I think we can really engage with the world in a way that doesn't look like the rest of the world, uh, the divisive, polemical, uh, polarized kind of way, but in a way that identifies us as the salt and light of the world, as a unified uh, body of Christ with the gospel in one hand and with uh, love on the other hand. And this way we 
live out the purpose for which God placed us here on earth, no matter what circumstances uh, we might be uh, facing now or in the future. So let's remember that, uh, that the gospel is still this, that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has come to reconcile sinners with God and to bring them into a new covenant relationship with the Father. And that this promise is for us and our children and to all those who are far off. And God is using us, using the church, to advance this gospel to the ends of the earth. So praise be to God, uh, that God is indeed bringing a multitude of nations into the family of Abraham. And let's hold fast to this uh, for ourselves and our family, and let's share this uh, with all those who are around us.